0: Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I wanna make him an awful gang As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you
1: understand, George? It's because you were not born.
2: Film church. Well, a boy's best friend is his mother.
1: If he was created to love, then it's reasonable to assume he knows how to hate, and if pushed to those extremes, who knows we he might be capable.
0: Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for both of us to watch and discuss. Today, I picked the film Artificial Intelligence from 2001, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, This is kind of a coda episode to our our leading on from our... uh, Kubrick series because I didn't want it to end. <laughs> and this is a film that Kubrick planned on making uh, for about like 20 years uh, before deciding that this would be better as a Steven Spielberg film. Uh, so his plan was to produce it and have Spielberg direct it, but sadly he passed away before it was made. Uh, But fortunately, Spielberg was able to make the film and incorporate all of Kubrick's research um, using his designs, his treatments, all of that good stuff. The film stars Haley Joel Osment, uh, Jude Law, Francis O'Connor, Sam Roberts, William Hurt, and Jake Thomas. And guess what, Lewis?
2: What's that, Brendan?
0: Today, we have a special guest. Our guest is a director a filmmaker, a writer, a producer, and recently directed a film uh, with me in it <laughs> uh, called Peace of Mind, uh, which will be available on YouTube soon. And as soon as it is, we will put it in the show notes below. Um, now, usually when we have a guest, we let the guest pick the film. But since the film that our guest directed, deals with similar subject matter of AI. Uh, I thought this would be a perfect episode to have him on. Um, So without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Mr. Chance Smith from Inwood Park Productions. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. uh, Well, uh, thanks for having me, y'all. I'm really excited to talk about AI. I have Uh, a lot of opinions about this movie. So um, I'm excited to get started with all of it.
0: I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are because I'm not sure if you love it or hate it. I really don't know. We, I mean, we've, we've only spent one day together shooting this film, so I really don't know. (laughs) I'm pretty uh... sure I know what Lewis thinks, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm curious. So, uh, listeners if you want to know what we're watching next week you got to stay till the end of the episode when we announce it um what else should listeners be doing lewis
2: listeners should be doing a variety of things brandon um but we would like to say thank you for everyone who has been listening to the show and sending their love for it. It really means a lot. If you're new to the show and enjoying it, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to be notified when a new episode is available. This is a film church, so we post episodes on Sundays. And if you really, really enjoy the show, just share it with people. Get get it out there. Let other people know what you're listening to. Um, We are now being hosted by Spotify, which has recently changed over. So if you really want to help the show, any listeners on Spotify would you know, just boost our numbers and help people find it. Um, You can follow us on there as well, which would be um, wonderful. Um, You can also find us on all social media platforms at Film Church Radio, where you can leave us a comment or send a message about the show. Um, We also post extra content on YouTube as well. Um, If you want to see us live and in person talk about AI, then you can go over to YouTube and you can see this exact same podcast, but with our faces, which is really great. We have also just put a poll up on our Eyes Wide short episode where we rounded out the films directed by Kubrick. And you can vote on the greatest Kubrick film. Um, Currently a tie between 2001, Doctor Strange, Love and The Shining. So it's pretty tight. Um, It's going to be up until the end of May. So go over there and vote now. Tell us what you think. We want to know. Um, And just rate and review it. Wherever you get the podcast that you're listening from. We want to hear from you. Um, So please let us know that would be great. So that is a lot of things on your to-do list, but I promise if you do them all, you will become Film Church Enlightened. And that's what we aim to do. Um, now, before we discuss the film, what we're going to do here is our hymn section. Normally, this is where we sing the praises of other films that we've been watching this week, but as we have a special guest, what we're going to do instead is sing the praises of Chance. So, Chance, I have had the pleasure of seeing the short film that you made with Brandon. Um, thank you so much for sharing it with me. I really appreciate it. But I really want to ask you a little bit about that before we get into your kind of film watching habits, I guess. Um, where has this idea come from? Like, what I know that it's like a thematic track between like kind of the films that you've been making. Where did it come from?
1: Yeah, so... It's a ooh, it's a long story. The the, I so we've had the character of John for quite some time. I would say he's a part of the original kind of set of characters we made for this universe about like eight years ago. Um, and then when we were like, okay, let's make a set of short films. Let's start working on a series. The first character, like he's not a character I invented. He's a character that somebody else invented. That like for our series, one of like our co-creators, and. I just remember the first thing that I like, popped in my head whenever we were talking about the short films is okay. This I'm going to make a one with him because I know I can make it for for cheap and I can make it quick and I know that he's not a character who's a giant with a sword who needs to fight off like robots. Like I knew I could write something simple yeah. with him. So right whenever I knew like that was going to be the premise to it, I was going to use that character and I was going to use his companion. orb. and then when I started really like thinking through the ideas. I came to the idea that, like, okay, well, he needs to debate life. Like, that would be what you would start debating with, like, an AI. Like, if you started, like, you know, back and forth between them, that's what you go to immediately. And then, because we've had these characters established, my first thought was, well, Or wouldn't think he's alive. Like, he would just assume he's not. And that changed the perspective from, like, which I wrote it. So, instead of trying to, like, have the AI pleading, which, you know, we'll get to in Uh, our discussion of of AI later, um, instead of having like this kind of really emotional side to the AI, it's like honest that it doesn't think it's alive. Um, And having the person really be like, no, but you are, like, I think it changed the dynamic. And so I wanted to explore that. Uh, So yeah, I I came from a place of I had some parameters I wanted to set. And then that was the story that kind of first popped into my mind. So.
2: Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, and for the for the listeners who haven't yet had the chance to see Peace of Mind, um, what's the basic elevator pitch? What is Peace of Mind?
1: Yeah. So, uh, John, a scientist from our time who has time traveled to the future. That's a longer story. uh, Crash lands on a planet with his AI companion. Um, They don't think there's a way out, um, and the only possible way is to destroy his only friend, his AI companion, and to make a communication device. Um, so they kind of have a heated debate about what is life and who is alive and what's worth saving, um, which is all heightened by the fact that John gets a fatal wound kind of midway through the film. And it escalates what's going on and, and the, the conversation that they're
2: having. Awesome. Awesome. And we are also very lucky to be joined by the actor <laughs> Peace of mind. Brandon, you played John. How was this experience for you?
0: It was great. Honestly, like I uh I have been wanting to explore acting further for a long time. Um typically I'm behind the camera, but I have acted on occasion in my own projects. Um but yeah, just over the years I've been like, man, I mean I've always loved actors is one of my favorite things when making films is is like capturing a performance you know and watching an actor um do their work um so i've always been interested in trying it and uh i was uh on the houston filmmakers facebook page and came across a post that chance posted a casting call uh for this short film for a sci-fi short film uh, and the picture that he posted was this white guy with an afro. <laughs> I was like, this, hmm, this might be a sign. Yeah. This might be yeah. the thing that I should try out for. Um, so I auditioned, you know, sent in my audition tape, and then I had a call back, and, and uh, they really liked it. And, and then after that, I just started working on my lines, started working on the part. It was kind of the perfect thing for me to do as someone who wanted to um, – see if I wanted to do more acting because it's literally just me and this AI robot and the, yeah. it's like 12 minutes, right? The short film. Uh, yeah. So, give or take. Yeah. So it's like, it's a really good meaty role to kind of bite into and see what I can yeah. do with it. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was totally different to be on the other side of the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah i uh i think it's it's going to change the way that i approach filmmaking myself um but i i uh yeah i had a lot of fun with it it was really great it was really cool to see everything come together cuz the whole time i was like okay all i have to do is like work on these lines <laughs> while yeah. meanwhile chance and his team is like trying to like figure out locations <laughs> trying to figure out all the props i mean it's a sci-fi universe so they're like creating this robot yeah. they're creating all the Props and the, you know, crash ship and all of that stuff and fake blood and all of this stuff that <laughs> is really stressful as a filmmaker. So it was, it was nice to be on the other side of it yeah. and be like, okay, all I got to do is memorize these lines and I'm, yeah. you know,
2: I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. My chance, like, make it, being a filmmaker isn't something that you just kind of fall into. It, it, I feel like it comes from a love of the medium itself. So, what made you convert to the Church of Film?
1: Ah, uh, that's uh, there's a lot of things. I think that um, on like a personal front, I came to it. I want to say rather late, comparative to I think a lot of people. Yeah. Um, like you know, you watch films when you're a kid, but I think whenever like it came to what could I do this, I don't think I, I don't think I made that honest uh, connection. I don't think I realized that I could do it until I saw. It's going to be the most cliche thing ever to say. Until I saw Quirks, I was like, ah, this is far. Like, this is too advanced for me. And then I saw Quirks, Pineapple Express, and, like, Harold and Kumar. And I was like, I could do that. Like, that's <laughs> not that That's not that hard. Uh, and it was, like, those things that kind of made me realize it. I think when it comes to, like, love for filmmaking, um, and I would say this is – one of my favorite films of all time if you follow me on any social media at least once every couple of weeks I, I'll make some rant about it that's pretty aggressive uh, Treasure Planet I think is the coolest <laughs> movie of all time uh, and there's specifically on the DVD there was like a second you know like there's the behind the scenes stuff and they talked about the making of it and it really it like blew my mind as a kid and, I, and that was the first I think like I'm thinking about before when I didn't realize I could do it but I was just like this yeah. is a cool thing to do I think it was that that DVD's extra kind of thing. So yeah, that's, awesome. that's uh that's when <laughs> that that mm. that would be the main thing for me.
2: Physical media baby is the <laughs> way forward.
1: <laughs> yeah, 100%.
2: <laughs> do you
0: have a pretty extensive uh, physical media collection chance? I know I know uh, I see you post on social media sometimes. You do like the VHS watches and stuff.
1: Yeah, so I have behind me right now I have a couple like I have my main TV right here but I have like a small little uh, I don't know if you can see it like a, little a little Mac bit. uh screen over there that I've connected to a couple of VHS players I have a small connect, a collection I actually most of my ones from my childhood I like were given away in a garage sale kind of mm. stuff yeah so I uh, I've been collecting them since so, I've been kind of trying to find you know, like my Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or stuff like that. That I'm just like, yeah. I want to see this again. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't, it's not a huge collection of um VHS's and stuff. I have a probably about 50 hundred like DVDs and stuff. I'm not a huge physical media when it comes to movie collector, I'm a big game collector, mm. um, and like comic books and things like that. Like, that's what I I tend to do but VHS has been a more recent thing for me because I I wanted to recapture a little something from my childhood and so Yeah, I, for sure. You know, that became a big part of it. Uh oh, yeah. was VHS collecting. So
0: Yeah, I'm really glad I I held on to a lot of the VHSs I had from childhood and and then recently started collecting even more and like uh when people give away stuff I'm like, "I will take all your VHSs, please. Thank you." <laughs> so now I have a pretty extensive VHS collection. Um as opposed to Lewis who has a very extensive Criterion <laughs> collection. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but I think we kind of rival each other with our uh our diverse collections. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think when it comes to the like the VHS stuff, what's interesting is a lot of people are getting you know, obviously are getting rid of their tapes right now. Um and that's where most of mine come from. So like, it's like my grandfather's old tapes mm-hmm. and stuff that's what all the VHS theaters things have been. They've just been these, like, I don't know what it is. It's been worn off. They found them in like an attic. And so like, there's no writing on it. So it's actually me just finding out what's on this tape. So like, I found everything from like, you know, old beer commercials and stuff to like a tape of, you know, a uh, relative who, who was no longer around. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know this existed. It was a cool. um, I think it's a cool thing about like physical media, especially things like that are so random like this, that like, you never know what you're going to find in that group. And even if it is just like a old beer commercial, sometimes like those, yeah. just, they're just killer. They're really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: That's awesome. I'm, I'm curious. Like, so f- like, you know, we have, we our podcast is called film church radio. And to us, the real film church is like going to the cinema. Like a cinema is like the real church, you know? um but i don't really know what your take is on that are you a person who is like a devout like you have to experience uh, certain movies in the cinema it's completely different or are you are you not that way
1: i do think it's completely different yeah. but I think it's a. I think it is a magical experience. I saw everything everywhere when it was in theaters, mm-hmm. and it was in a small like. I was living up in Ithaca, New York. So it was like a small like independent theater. There's like two theaters in that whole building, um, and so it was a really intimate like experience, and it was wonderful, and I loved every part of it, but. I am a movie talker. I know it's like a super controversial thing, but I like to like yell when stuff's going on. Like it's a big way I experience and kind of, you know, uh, live through the movies. Um, So I like to watch things. at home. I actually really liked when Warner Brothers was dropping all their stuff on HBO um, because I could watch King Kong versus Godzilla. Something that I, I don't really want to spend the money all the time to go to the theater to watch it. But I do love those movies and I really do want to watch them. So it's a, you know, to me, like I would rather see some things there. I think the pricing is a big issue for me all the time. Yeah. It's going always feels like it's a uh, such a hassle. But then there's things that like um, I would never have wanted to experience everything everywhere for the first time, like at my house. Like he would yeah. have been that would have been a weird experience. And I don't know if I would have liked the movie quite as much. And like they're reshowing. uh one of my favorite Star Wars movies, episode six, is coming back to theaters into this month. Uh, and like, I'll, I'll probably try and go catch that because, you know, I've never seen it. So it seems like an experience that would be worthwhile. So I think it's I, I like the theater, but I'm a I'm a talker. So I'll just like yell yeah. throughout it. And I want to be able to get up and use my phone and be like, hold on, I got to go to the bathroom. Give me
2: two <laughs> seconds.
1: And like, I like all the the luxury of of watching films at home. Yeah, um, And I also put a lot of like effort, like I have a projector and all this kind of stuff. So I like, I brought the theater to my house as much as possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, shouting in a, during a movie, like if you're <laughs> shouting with the movie, that's different from just like randomly having a conversation and being distracted and like not paying attention to it, you know? That Cause like, fair. I enjoy, like, I'm not a big shouter in movies. But I enjoy going to a theater, like a packed theater where people are, you know, they can't help themselves. They're like they're having an experience while watching it because then yeah. you're having that experience with them. It is like a religious experience to like be in a packed theater where everyone is just like screaming at the movie. There's nothing yeah. else like it.
2: One of my favorite experiences ever in a cinema was because someone shouted at the screen. Um, have you all seen Hereditary? Yeah, so I have not,
1: but I know enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a minor spoiler coming up, but it's towards the end when, like, Tony Collette's on the ceiling and that like, pans out and you kind of, you don't see her at first and then, like, I don't know how the camera does it, but then all of a sudden you're kind of aware of her and there's a guy in front of me that just shouted, Nope! And then stood up and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't come back. He was, yeah, it was like, no, I'm done. This is too much.
0: <laughs> that's funny because that's kind of towards the end of the movie. It's like you spend yeah. all that time, like, that's the part that you're like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, this is too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so go ahead. Yeah, what film would you bring? To like, normally we would have you kind of bring a film for us to all watch and discuss, and you know, um, it's doing it a little bit differently this time. But if you know, you were to return, what film would you think that you would bring with you for us to watch?
1: I've already mentioned it, I think that I would be yeah, yeah. Like, without a doubt, I think that that's the movie that I know everybody's seen it, but you know, I'll put, I actually people are kind of upset with how much I enjoy it, just because it's on all the time or it's like there. And it's like always yeah. like, yes, we get it. So it, it would be that if I was to bring like just any movie, if I was to be, if I wasn't to choose that movie, I think I'd bring Clerks too. I think that that is probably my favorite comedy of all time. And I like Kevin Smith and I like breaking down the way he uh, works. Cause I think it's, such, he, he has such a, you know, a, a big platform at this point, and it still feels so small and like what he, how he's approaching everything, and so feasible. So I think, yeah, yeah, he's Sorry,
0: just I, he's it. very open. He's very he's very open with his process and with his, you know, his, even just his thought process, you know, and sharing how he he got to the conclusions that he got to, the creative decisions and all of that. I love that guy. He's awesome.
1: Yeah, so I think that like if anything, it, it'd been a Clerks, it'd been a Kevin Smith movie, one of yeah. one of the three of
0: those. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Are there any other film gods besides Kevin Smith that that you know are just like the Mount Rushmore of the film gods?
1: <laughs> I know it's like I know Everybody says it. I know it's cliche, but like I I think denying that he is actively or it has been one of the greatest directors. It, it, like I think Tarantino deserves the spot on that list. Like there's just no, like, there's no way around it. Even if I don't always think that he is, I think some of his comments are stupid. I think that like, sometimes he just, he's just not always in the right, but but if you just like just his films in and of themselves are so good that it's undeniable. Uh, I, I really like Sam Raymond. I think that like that's another thing when i look back on like army of darkness played a really big role and mm-hmm. the way that i uh if if y'all i live is up the other short film that we did for tales of jovia um and there's an explosion in it at one point and we just throw blood on them and i was like screw it like like you know i and that was a very like it was my inner sam sam Raimi coming out so <laughs> uh yeah I, I don't know i'm i'm, I'm trying to avoid another one without like it with, without a ton of blood and their things, but I can't think of anything. <laughs>
0: so yeah. I, mean, uh, I love Sam Raimi too, dude. Like you gotta, you gotta lean into what you love when you're a filmmaker, you know? And yeah. that, that is a great part in live. I love that part.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was just like, we all were having so much fun that day. We're like, okay, let's just do it. Like it's going to be gross. It's good. But you know, I don't know. It was it it was enjoyable for me, and I I quite enjoy things like that. So yeah, Sam yeah. Raimi, Tarantino, people like that.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, Tales of Jovia, big big universe that you're creating. Tell everybody what you're trying to do and and how that they can support you before we get into this movie.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Tales of Jovia is the first. Uh, kind of series first thing that we're really putting out um, film wise from the Jovian universe. Uh, There's like a bigger thing we've been making for, for about eight years. Um, And it started as a book and, you know, we just kind of evolved it. This is the first kind of real um, attempt to make it a reality. So we're making a, uh, a sci-fi short film series that we're kind of putting out on YouTube um, that are, you know, they range in, both their place within our universe, their, their time, you know, the, we have kind of this bigger, uh, uh, playground or uh, sandbox, which is with, which, uh, we're kind of playing with, but, um, yeah, tales of Jovia is like four or five short films. Um, as of now, we have plenty more planned, um, that kind of tells different stories of people living, you know, uh, in humanity's future, hundreds of thousands of years, um, away hundred thousand years in the future. Um, so yeah uh, live is about a bounty hunter um, peace of mind which you were in obviously is about uh, uh, a scientist and his AI companion getting trapped on a planet. We have a romance movie called neon Comet that we're actually filming hopefully this weekend depending on how the weather uh, is um, and uh, faceless it's a VHS found footage horror and a uh, action adventure one called recontact on blue, which is like, so they're like, they range in their genre. Um, And, you know, it was a, it was an attempt for us to kind of dabble in a bunch of different like things within film, try a bunch of different styles um, and really uh, make a proof of concept since, you know, pitching your film, you know, only gets you so far sometimes. And, um, I'm tired of sending emails and getting very little replies back. So I was like, you know what? Let's just do it, and if uh, we'll build the audience along the way. Uh, and so, kind of speaking of building audience, we're uh, doing an IndieGoGo right now. Uh, it well, uh, by the time this comes out, it will drop the following day. So it'll drop Monday the seventeenth, um, and it's a IndieGoGo for the first phase of Tales of Jovia, which is. Excluding live, which is already out. Um, it starts with peace of mind and goes through uh, recontact on Bloom. Um, and you get like early access to like digital copies of the uh, all the short films, but also like VHS and DVD copies for um, you know certain contribution things and you know uh, day on set and I can't remember all of the things. I wrote them all, but I can't remember all of them. Uh, but a bunch of like cool, giving away props. We're like raffling off some of the props that we made. Uh, we think that's a, a way to get people interested because we build a lot of these things and then they sit on the shelf behind me. Uh, so figure figured it could clean down my house at the same time. Uh, but we're offering a bunch of, you know, uh, things for kind of contributions to our, uh, our short film series. And um, yeah, we're just hoping to kind of build an audience. That's really the biggest thing for us is trying to find the people who want to watch a person explode on a camera (laughs) like or you know and at the same time watch a a romance between you know these two scientists uh you know collecting data like it's kind of everybody everything anybody could ever want out of like sci-fi projects it just kind of covers the gamut so
0: yeah that's tales of jovi i think (laughs) something for everyone (laughs)
2: yeah and we'll link that in the show notes as well when it um when it goes live it may not be there um on sunday if you're listening to this straight away but um if you check back we'll have a link in the show notes to um to the indiegogo all right well with that i think
0: it's time for our feature presentation AI, Artificial Intelligence from 2001, David is 11 years old, he weighs 60 pounds, he is 4 feet 6 inches tall, he has brown hair, his love is real, but he is not. David, a robotic boy, the first of his kind, programmed to love, is adopted as a test case by, the Cybertron- by a Cybertronics employee and his wife. Though he gradually becomes their child, a series of unexpected circumstances make his life impossible for David. Without final acceptance by humans or machines, David embarks on a journey to discover where he truly belongs, uncovering a world in which the line between robot and machine is both vast and profoundly thin. Okay, so... Uh I love Spielberg. Spielberg is amazing. Um I have I had not seen this film before I picked it for Film Church. Um and also we just got done with our Stanley Kubrick series. So we went through all of Kubrick's work starting with the crappy documentaries that nobody has seen going all the way to Eyes Wide Shut. And and then this film is something that he planned on making and then and decided Spielberg should direct it. Um and I I feel like I was a I was just the perfect audience for this movie. I was going to be a sucker for it. I had no idea what to expect. I was absolutely br- blown away. This movie broke me. Like this is this might be my spav- my favorite Spielberg film as well as one of the greatest films ever made.
2: (laughs) Holy smokes. Wow. What? Uh,
0: It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, Who agrees with me? Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) I
2: am not, I don't think I'm too far away from you. I I mean, um, just when you said it was your favorite Spielberg, Jurassic Park came roaring into my head and I was like, (laughs) That's a high bar. If we are talking best Spielberg, that is, you know, top tier filmmaking. Um, yeah. What about you?
1: Uh, I yeah, the Spielberg comments what killed me uh, too. I think that the, I think the movie is long. I think that was a big part of it that really uh, took it down a lot of notches for me. That beginning, and that end were brutal, in my opinion, but. <laughs> The, uh, yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park, you got Indiana Jones. You got, no, there's too much. <laughs> to, to, what well, no, there's no way. I was actually expecting a Jurassic Park. Um, and, uh, I was watching it with the, the co-creator of Tales of Jovia stuff with me, uh, earlier today. And when we were watching it, he was like, what's a lot like Minority Report? And I was like, that's what it is. That's what the aesthetic I've been, I was like, it's not Jurassic Park. It's a different era of, of his work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not super far like away what, from either like, of y'all's opinion but it's
0: like I think I think maybe uh it's like the thing is there's there's a few Spielberg films that I haven't seen right but I've I've grown up watching Spielberg I've loved Spielberg my whole life uh so I think just getting new Spielberg new to me Spielberg from this kind of era where it's like you know the special effects are really good for its time but they're because they're mixed with practical effects and all that uh and it has that Spielberg magic that wonderment it just it it got me yeah. it just got me yeah. so hard that i just i absolutely love this film and now you know of course like 20 years from now after i've seen every single spielberg film a million times i think that's what's going to determine like what i really think is the greatest spielberg film but man there was oh, i mean well for one thing i had no idea what to expect i i i because the the film starts out kind of dark uh i mean the first scene with um uh what's his name uh william hurt that, that whole scene, you know, I was kind of like, uh, eh, you know, but towards the end when he's like, um, yeah, but didn't God create Adam to love him? Like at that moment, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Didn't he like, did, is God's creation of that? Like whether you believe in God or not, just the story of Genesis and all that, like, um, is God's creation of mankind a selfish act? You know, because we're here, like we we're here we 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 live, laugh, love, suffer, pain, all of that stuff. God doesn't care. He just wants. He's just jealous of your love. Like he just wants you to love him. Like he, as long as you love him and worship him, he doesn't care what you're going through. I mean, obviously, people can argue with me. That's fine. But yeah. that basic idea, I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, and I was just, I was so into that. And then as the film goes on, you get Haley Joel Osment, which of course I've grown up watching him as well. I I knew nothing about this movie, honestly. I didn't know he was in it. I didn't, you know, I mean, it's like right after he did sign, uh, not signs, but uh, Sixth Sense. And, He's fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. And that the tone of creepiness right off the bat um it like just the whole the like the filmmaking just got me. Like I like as a filmmaker I should have known like okay this the tone will change, the tone will change. But like the creepiness right off the bat just I just never knew what to expect next in every scene, everything surprised me. Um Yeah. So the fact that the film was always a step ahead of me, I think really helped. Uh, and then getting into, I mean, like when his face melts, like it gets super creepy. Um, and then when she leaves him in the woods, that scene really broke me. And it wasn't even, it was, it was, all, you know, it, it wasn't till the end of the scene that I really started to like break down and cry because, I grew up homeschooled (laughs) and the part where she's like, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you about the world. I was just like, Oh yeah. It just, it really like dug into a core in me and was like, Holy shit. Like this is incredible. Uh, And then it immediately cuts to Jude law. Who is also freaking amazing? Sorry, sorry, listeners, that it's just me on this podcast now talking about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it immediately cuts to Jude Law, and I was like, "Did he grow up? Like, do these robots grow up?" Because you don't get back to Haley Joel Osment for a while, and so I, I, I thought maybe that was him for for a little bit, and so you finally get back to to uh, little David. Mm. Um, and yeah, the whole tone changes, and it's you get all the long shots going through the um, the circusy craziness uh, where they're destroying all the robots. I mean, it's just like everything in this movie, like every single scene, like just the emotions that I went through. it was like Spielberg. Like I was made to watch this movie. Like Spielberg, it was like Spielberg knew like, okay, now he's, he's creeped out. Okay. Now he's crying a little too much. Let's switch it up and get him into this cool, this cool robot-y stuff. And, um, yeah, just every single second of the movie, I was just amazed. Yeah. I've got plenty more I can say, but (laughs) I'll let someone else talk for
2: now. (laughs) Jens, go ahead. You're the guest. What were your yeah. like, initial thoughts?
1: Um, so I also had a range of emotions, but they were not all the positive emotions that you were having. Uh, I I really thought the beginning of it was was super boring and way too drawn out. So like for me, it didn't. I didn't, the movie didn't click for me until the middle of the circus stuff. Yeah, and I was, and at that point, I was like, okay, I like this. This is fun. Let's keep going. And then I liked it all the way up until about the end of it. I actually really hated the ending. I thought the ending mm-hmm. was like really uh, didn't work for me at all because it was just like it got to the end and then it felt like nothing came of it. It felt like very absent of an ending. Like it was, it felt like. A, and I know it's based off of a short story. It felt like a short story where like you can kind of just end a book, you know, just kind of that can be the end of it, you know. And for me, that's what the the story felt like. I. I went through a lot of like, okay, I'm kinda bored here, but I'm sitting taking notes actively. So a lot of my notes are like, okay. (laughs) Like it's just like me writing like, okay, I guess. Like, and I was uh it felt like it felt like it was a Spielberg and Kubrick movie together. And in ways that I I didn't think were positive. Because I do think they're both great. Um I think Spielberg's style starts to wear on me a lot over time. And I was talking to my friend about this recently. It's not because of Spielberg. It's because everyone stole his style. So it's like, it's not that like it's him. It's that like everything feels like him now. So it it doesn't feel as unique. So when I go back and watch a Spielberg movie, I'm like, okay, but I feel like I've seen this a million times, not because of him, because everyone else copying him. So, but it didn't have that magic and wonder that I get from a Spielberg movie that I would like. Um, and it was very drawn out in a way that a Kubrick movie is without the profound pieces that like I would like from a Kubrick movie. It just didn't feel like it spoke to my humanity in a lot of ways. It felt like I was like kind of drudging through a lot of it. So like, yeah, I, I ranged in emotions, but it was really for me, like it was like it took a long time and then once it hit, it hit really well. I thought like all yeah. the stuff, once you log it's there, I was like, okay, I'm into it. I like the cyberpunk aesthetic of a lot of it. I think like the idea of like killing the the robots to maintain superiority quote unquote during that you know uh, the, you know the time that they have like humanity has left I think is a uh, it's an interesting concept and I think that that's what really got me is like the concepts are really good. And like mm-hmm. once they started hitting in full, I enjoyed it, but it was uh, uh, it's also an issue I have with things like like uh, oblivion where it takes a little too long in my opinion to get to the point and then once it gets to the point I'm like this is what we should have been doing why are we here for for the whole movie yeah. um so yeah that's why it just um I, but I think like Haley Joel uh, Joel Osment was fantastic I think that like it was a performance where I was like you know even like as a kid this kid is just like killing it like six sense is good but this felt like a like a true performance of a lifetime for like a kid you know especially when he plays this other version later on where it's like the, and you can see like, cause I didn't, it didn't click to me how much he had changed by that point in the movie. Until I yeah. saw him in juxtaposition to his other version. And I was like, yeah, that's like super cool. Like the kid is, was killing it. Um, but yeah, I think it's his, it's the mom stuff that really drug out. I think that's what, what it was for me. like that whole story, which is the main story. Uh, like, obviously, but it was the particular pieces about his relationship with her that um, dragged for me. So, yeah, I could talk about it forever. I could continue dragging on that point. But, yeah.
0: <laughs> How about you, Lewis? So you said this is not the first time you had seen the film. When did you first see it? And then what was it like going back to it? <laughs> um,
2: I saw this film for the first time um, 21 years ago when it was released in cinemas. Um, wow. And I've been emotionally scarred by it ever since. So <laughs> <clears throat> my mum, for some reason, took me to go and see it. I think potentially maybe I had seen a trailer and thought it would be like a fun romp with a you know a little robot boy and a teddy bear through whatever. So I was like 9, 10 at the time, and I was like, I want to go and see this. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's go and see this. This film, um, every I feel like every part of this film has been ingrained in my memory. When I rewatched it, it was like I'd watched it a week ago, um, which just shows me that I think it had such an impact on me the first time I saw it. I don't. It just didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Um, it wasn't about what I thought it was going to be about, but still, like destroyed me, I guess, to my core. <laughs> um, I can remember like we talked about Teddy for a lot of the you know the car ride home just cuz i don't think i want to talk about anything other than the the cuddly soft bear that was like his best friend um so it kind of it was a like a a deep breath moment when i put the disc in i was like okay here we go i'm not sure what this is going to unlock in terms of memories but i'm ready to do it um and it it's just heartbreaking i mean kubrick the reason he passed it over to Spielberg after developing it for so long was he said that he didn't think he could give it the heart that Spielberg could, Um, which I agree with. I think Kubrick's a very cold director. I mean, I don't think there's many many characters that you're drawn in with. They're all kind of antiheroes. And this, I think David would have been too creepy. I don't think he would have had the same warmth. Um, So I think that decision is right. But, oh my gosh, it's just heartbreaking every moment.
0: It's, yeah, I, I I tried to rewatch it. The I watched it last week and then I tried to rewatch it Saturday night and I I was like I can't I can't do it right now. I was like no. this is a deeply sad movie. I mean yeah. to to me it was just deeply deeply sad. Um and uh what's interesting I think like you said Kubrick was like this this needs that Spielberg flair. Like it yeah. needs that Spielberg kind of love to it and magic. Um but what's interesting is I like I read that Spielberg is the one that kind of added that whole middle sequence with Gigolo Joe and all the machines like finding their parts and the the whole machines getting um abused and torn apart and, you know, for the entertainment of people. Um I'm not sure if that's true or not. It was, like, in in someone's comment, I think, on Letterboxd, someone's review. But it kind of makes sense that, like, I mean, Spielberg and Kubrick were friends, right? They they had gotten to know each other for over 20 years at that point. And I think Spielberg knew, and they had already been collaborating on it before Kubrick passed away, right? So he knew what Kubrick was going for and what he was trying to do. And Spielberg wrote the screenplay, but it's based on a 90 page treatment that Kubrick had developed, you know, so like, (laughs) I mean, that's basically a screenplay, right? Yeah. But I think Spielberg is enough of a genius and had enough sensibility to add in darker Kubrick elements to it to kind of pay respect to what Kubrick was going for but still have that Spielberg flair. I mean, the part that really got me in this movie, I mean, like I said, I like bald in the part where she leaves him in the woods, and then you get the Gigolo Joe sequence and the machines, and then there's the scene where they capture Gigolo Joe and uh, David, and he's holding on to Teddy, and he drops him. (laughs) And I, I'm like, I was like devastated at that point. But then you get the shot of Teddy like running. Yeah. <laughs> the wide shot and Teddy's like running <laughs> up the hill. I was like Spielberg, like it made me bust out laughing. And I was like Spielberg, you son of a bitch! Like,
1: <laughs> I think that you actually made a point that is why it. Some of it didn't work. I didn't realize. I didn't put two and two together. That it is Spielberg doing an impression of Kubrick for parts of it, yeah, and that's why the those parts. And I'm like, it feels like it should be more Kubrick in it, and it should mm. feels like it should be more Spielberg in it. Is it feels like he is really trying to do that balancing act, and that it's neither one of their movies in a, if for that purpose that he is trying to do both of those things. Because yeah, I think if it was all those kind of flares of like him you know, the of the teddy bear getting up and running in a wide shot or, like, like things like that that... Or the circus. Those things were wild in a way that, like, feels... They, they felt eye-catching. They felt like it was a spectacle more so than a uh, lecture, which I think Kubrick films in a lot of ways can feel like a lecture to watch where it's like, I get it. It's really masterful, like, masterfully put together, but it can be long where Spielberg's films feel short they feel like everything is happening constantly there's not not always a the time to breathe still feels like you're like okay we needed that for a second and then we're gonna get back to what we we're doing um, yeah. and this feels like it took a lot of pauses that that um felt like a Kubrick film and I, I didn't put two and two together that yeah it's it's Spielberg doing an impression of him yeah. uh, which for that it, it's it's remarkable like for those things that he is doing and he's really trying to attempt it, um, like like the intro scene where they're talking, uh, where he shows the the uh, AI for the first time, um, feels like a, a scene that would be at like the beginning of two thousand one where they're talking on the spaceship. Like, it feels like a long drawn out scene. It, it's great for for what it is. Um, like I thought that one stuck with me. Like that that will be a scene that will forever be kind of ingrained. That, so yeah, yeah. There's
2: like this, line, this- there's certain homages to to Kubrick throughout, especially the the tracking shot we get at the beginning of that circus scene where it's just um, the guy on the side is kind of it, I'm not sure what he's going to go and get. Is he taking it to lost and found? He's taking Teddy to lost and found, yeah. And we get that long tracking shot of him kind of coming up the stairs and coming all the way kind of halfway around the stadium and back down. And I'm like, this is just like a, the biggest kind of nod to Kubrick that you could get. You know, just that one shot with everything happening in the background. Like, there's so much going on, um, and I was like, "Yeah, there's definitely like some touches here. You can tell that Spielberg is is trying to, to you know, I don't know, to share this. I guess still, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, he's approaching it from maybe like how would, uh, yeah, Kubrick shoot this scene or whatever. Yeah. you know." Uh, He was also using, like, lenses that Kubrick liked, you know? He's like, let's put the 14 on. That was one of his (laughs) favorites, you know? Um, And the lighting, my God, like, the lighting in this movie, it looks, I mean, you can tell that they just straight up took those graphic design concept arts of the future and just made it look the same because it looks like... Futuristic painting. I mean, the the dinner scene, even the dinner scene, uh, where like uh, the Haley Joel Osment starts like laughing. You know, mm-hmm. like the way that that's lit is just incredible. Like it's amazing. Um, and I, and it's I guess... it's so
2: overexposed as well. Like mm-hmm. the scenes, especially with um, Jude Law, where they've they've met the um, the Einstein like thing and Dr. they're walking no. back through that's it Dr. No. And, they're walk- <laughs> and they're walking back through and it's like you can lit you, you it's to the point where the characters are almost lit out of the scene like yeah. the exposure on the light is so much <clears throat> that it's kind of bleeding into the character's frame it's just it's so bright all the time you know um nothing is kind of hidden in the shadows apart from the circus because it's like the seedy underworld of what this world is supposed to be,
0: yeah.
2: So it's—I mean, it—it's such a interesting film. It's trying to say so much, I think, and I think that it kind of it nails ninety-five percent of it.
0: Yeah. What do you guys think of the? I mean, the whole. The the concept of AI in general and the way that this film presents it. Because I think that was part of it for me too is the fact that I feel like that's where the world is heading and I don't really I I don't really see the organic human race continuing forever. You know? Um, And I think that Humans and machines will kind of merge at some point, maybe not in our lifetime, but eventually. But maybe in our lifetime, I don't know. You know, it's like I'm not at the head of that. <laughs> um, and like there's lots of talk about AI right now with like Chat GPT and billionaires being like, it's gonna kill us all. Um, what what what's y'all's take on that?
1: I uh, I think that that is one of the OK, so a uh, so to speak to your point about artificial intelligence, it's going to happen. It is happening. We just got to live with it. I think it it makes some things. It makes life easier. The casting call that you saw is an AI like generated image. like It was an image that we made through that. We typed in the words like I think it's a part of making our lives easier a lot. Um, and I don't think it's gonna end up like AI was, which is, um, I think now that we're at a point where we're seeing the ramifications of artificial intelligence, we're seeing it play out in a way that not only this film didn't see, but science fiction right. I'm a big like sci-fi novel reader. like they like they weren't even predicting it. It's a lot more integrated to who we are as humans. I think it's gonna be only a facet of us becoming better at what we can do, then it is going to be its own separate entity. Yeah. Like it's going to be an um,
0: extension of ourselves rather than being its own thing.
1: Yeah. Which is why the, the main dilemma, the core dilemma of the film, the idea that like it would be a robot that could live, I think is something we would, we will inevitably get to. I think it's going to happen. Um, but before that, we're going to already have integrated humans to a point where, I think it wouldn't be a question. Like I'm, I'm very into like this kind of all speculative, like where are we going to end up? And I think that we're more likely to end up cybernetic before we end up creating intelligent enough life. Um, Cause right now, I mean, even chat GBT is, it's just, it's just, it's a uh, essentially beautiful soup. It's going and scraping that, like the internet and drop it in uh, like through a uh, algorithm. So I'm not really like on the concern side, I think it's, uh, nonetheless i think that when it comes to the ai thing i um that was what it was interesting to see how they played it out um where they were like it is a separate thing from humanity like where they're not augmented um it's very separated in the way that it was approached and um it was interesting to see that like them still them pondering you know this idea of uh well what if a robot could love kind of thing yeah um at a time where we're looking back on it now with an understanding of how ai is playing out and what like like if mean, knew it was just you know it's it, like even like even because of the film grain the way that it, like the film looks it looks like it's from a different era um and so like, it feels like looking back on a time capsule of, like looking at how people thought that ai was going to play out and i don't think uh um I think that they what they're playing with the the content they're using this very kind of classic understanding of like robots and humans developing separately and robots becoming intelligent and emotional and so on. I mean, they're doing a top tier like version of it. Like it's a very clear, beautiful depiction of like the love that the character has, which is, I think, why the juxtaposition at the end hit me so hard when you see his old version of himself, of David, where you're like, oh, wow, that the he's so different. Like he is an emotional human being at that point. And like the circus stuff where like, they're like, God, that's a kid. Like you can't like all of that stuff. um, I think plays really well in the movie. I think that it doesn't answer the question all the way though. And I think that like, that's a good thing, but it felt like they were setting up him becoming real and then didn't it felt like that final fleshing out of what that meant for even David in the story wasn't fully done. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just like, I missed something in watching it or, you know, I I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but it felt like there was something at the very end that like, it felt like we were trying to get to what is like, what does it mean for him to be alive? And it was like him searching for something. But then he searched for it and he like found it. And then it was just like, I really thought the movie was going to end before the, the whole end part actually happened. Yeah. So I thought it was going to end right there. And so for me, like, especially at that point, I was like, I didn't really do nothing happened here. <laughs> it felt like the movie just ended. And even at the end, I was like, yeah, but I felt like a copped out, like added on ending where he gets what he wants at the end. Um, but it didn't really tell me anything about like, ai and like his perception on the world and what really it did mean to him um outside the fact that he did love somebody but i feel like that was we knew that within the first 10 minutes of the movie that he like how he felt about her or at least you know first 10 minutes of him being in that interaction space because obviously he's a robot (laughs) for the first like 15 20
2: yeah, I don't know. Maybe
1: I missed something at the very end, but that it felt like it didn't answer the question I wanted to answer. And maybe that's what I was going into it incorrectly for. I was like, I wanted to answer this question about what they proposed, you know, which is like what it means to hit for him to be alive or, you know, get him to that point. Um, and yeah, it felt like it just kind of drooled off at the end. So.
0: I have thoughts, but first, Lewis.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, that especially the first half of the film, it just positions it as the humans are seeing what they want to see, you know, with the whole, um, you know, he, if he's if he's this nice, you know, if he can be this good, he can also be bad. And it's like throughout we just see David just wanting to, he's just been imprinted on. He's just doing what he's programmed to do, which is to love and, and be loved in return. Um but the <clears throat> the adults see it as like you know he's he's corrupted by um the other boy he's kind of that the dad is kind of naysaying his decision you know, and that what's and that's what ultimately leads, leads him to being um deposited um in the way that he is um it's just I think that it says a lot about human nature and also just you know sometimes. Yeah, like he just it it takes like aliens <laughs> to give him what he wants. You know that's the that's the point. It's, it, he can't get what he needs from the human race as an as an AI. It's not gonna. He's too far past us to be you know fulfilled by the human race.
1: That is. Beautiful A. And B, (laughs) that I think is the issue. That I think is where all my issues for the movie stem from is my want for them to speak on what artificial intelligence means, opposed to the way humanity interacts with it. Um, and that you're right. The movie was far more about the way that the the humanity interacted with it. And now the way even after you said it, it reframed like I all the scenes reclicked in my head and I went god damn that is right that is like that that is what that i was searching for an answer they weren't trying or, or like for an answer they weren't trying to give me they were trying to give me an answer about humanity and i was looking for an answer about ai uh, wow that changed my whole perspective on i feel that, like so. it's done really, really
2: <laughs> i feel like it's done really well though because i don't think spielberg is like we we're not presented with an ai that is being useful in terms of, like, that the humans on the other side would see useful. You know, we see Jude Law's character kind of being a gigolo and stuff like that. Um, but throughout all the AI that we come in contact with, people are either, like, they want to destroy them and track them down or trying to kind of push them away. Like, even with Teddy, they're like, oh, he's outdated. And I'm like, Teddy is the coolest thing, you little brat. <laughs> like... Teddy is so right. Teddy everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's the best.
1: <laughs> he was the best. I have a note. Teddy is so good. He's my favorite part of the movie.
2: He's the best. <laughs> he's the best. He's just there. And I think right the last shot, it doesn't make me emotional until Teddy gets up on the bed. And then I'm like, he's still there. Teddy's mm-hmm. still there. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Brandon? Okay, so the
0: end. I to me they're not aliens. Is that what you guys thought? I get why you thought that.
2: You Because they, were- they look
0: like aliens, but is that what y'all, that's how y'all interpreted it, I assume. Mm-hmm.
1: I thought they were. So when I first was watching it, I was like, they definitely are evolved AI. Like, they are the yes. AI after overtime. That's what I assumed they were. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I didn't have another... Shorthand term for, for evolved AI opposed to, yeah, I mean, they're basically
0: the, 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 the merge of the human race and AI, like they eventually merged together and now they're this advanced thing, but they've, they're too advanced. They lost something there. They lost part of their humanity somehow. Um, and the, they're, they're realizing that all the meaning was in all the people that got left behind, and that's why they're digging people up and trying to recover their memories and find fragments of hair with memories and all of that stuff is because it's the stories of those people that matter, and that's what gives them meaning. Um, and, and to me, that's kind of, I, like I said, that's kind of where I see... The future. I mean, you've you even said it yourself. It was like you you think that we'll kind of merge before we even get to a point where we're like, oh no, is AI going to kill us? Um, because I mean, to me, we're kind of already getting there. It's like we're we carry our phones around everywhere we go. You know what I mean? And like a hundred years ago, people would have looked at us like, what is this device that you, that is a part of your body now? Um, yeah. And Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah, like at some point, you know, I guess, you know, maybe we'll have like some kind of chip or we can, you know, we'll have a watch that will just connect to our brains where if, if AI is faulty or negative in some way, we'll immediately be able to communicate with it with our minds, you know, or something like that. And I know this sounds all sci-fi, but like, that's the future. Like, you know, it's inevitable, like whether like and it and it is so depressing, like it is very depressing to think about um, turning into these weird looking silicone based people, whatever you want to call them. But like, I feel like there's just nothing like we're already heading that direction. Like, I don't I don't feel like there's anything we can necessarily do about it and what the film made me realize was that and this is something like the i mean this story is as old as time like it made me realize like our existence right now is really all that matters this time this little sliver of time that we get to be alive and be in this world Might be all we get. So like tell the people that you love. That you love them. You know if you've got like. Any. um, Relationships. That need to get fixed. You know fix them. Say what say your piece. Say what you need to say. Um, Because. Yeah it's like. It's like Teddy said, 50 years is not a long time. No.
1: Yeah.
0: But really all that, all that, uh, David wanted was he didn't even, he didn't even really want 50 years. He really just wanted his mother to tell him that she loved him. That's really all he wanted.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think, uh, back to your point about the alien, uh, evolved, the the, the mecha,
0: the advanced mecha.
1: I didn't see it as a, a, uh, addition to humans. I saw it as a way. I, I agree with the reclaiming of humanity, like that piece of it. Uh, but I thought they were just robots. I thought they were just Mm. AI that have evolved path. Like they have themselves evolved. Um, and it seemed bleak in for that reason, for the fact that they've lost, they weren't like a combination. It was just a lack of humanity in it. Um, that made it feel bleak. And also fingers crossed, we do become cyborgs because I want to live forever. And I think that that's, <laughs> that's our best bet at it. It's, uh, I'll become a brain of fat kind of thing before. Uh, so yeah, no, I, uh, I think you'll so that, that's why you'll,
0: you'll you'll be that one guy that was like I was on the cover of Time magazine seventy years ago.
1: <laughs> I want to be a Futurama character. I want to be like <laughs> you know like the Nixon Cutting in the job. jar yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, but uh <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I think that that's what made it so bleak at the end for me was that it did it felt like you know despite. What, what was being shown to us by humanity, the lack there of it, and the recreation of it, um, especially in that shortened time period that one day they have, um, I think made it special. So then it was just kind of this repeated cycle of trying to create this, what was special about humanity now that it's gone. Um, but I think for me, it was like far bleaker thinking of it as and I felt like if I thought about it as aliens, it'd be like a speculative biology book. I don't know if y'all read speculative biology books, mm. um, but they, yeah, they, they do it like at the end of it. It's like, and I'm an alien for 30,000, you know, you know, years of the future. This is what's going blah. blah, blah. But um, so I didn't want to think about it like that because it felt cheesier, I guess, to immediately think of it as aliens finding people and it felt like more of an extension of the main story to think of it as as these kind of AI creatures that are are coming back to see what they lost and, and inevitably recreating only the good parts of what humanity had to offer, despite the fact we only saw like the negative. I mean, I don't think there was a really solid positive expression of humanity through most of the film. Um even at the end, like it felt Soured by the fact that we knew it was only one day and we knew it was kind of all for a show because, like, even if then they're keeping everything uh sterile for people, like, when they're like, you know, you don't tell them, you know, all of that yeah. stuff, it's it's today kind of stuff, like, just making it, it felt like they were dealing with somebody who was having like um some kind of, of like mental deterioration where you're just trying to keep them when they're lucid, keep them lucid for that bit. Um, and that, it, so it felt even tainted at the end with like what they're trying to gain of humanity. It's just these little brief, happy moments when, you know, if it was created in totality, who's to say how they would react to the, the creatures that are now there and hyper evolved? Also, I don't know if y'all read Saga, but the face, I don't know if y'all read comics at all, but the face robot things reminded me of a character uh, from there who has a tv face oh nice um, shows he shows all his emotions on his face so i was like oh shit that's <laughs> that looks like that
0: yeah if that, that, that does that does sorry that that does put it in a, a different perspective for me because i i think you're right that like when you really look at the human the, the different human characters that are presented they're not great <laughs> <laughs> they're really not They're all pretty horrible.
2: That that changes my perspective a lot. I have to rewatch it now. Yeah, I think that definitely does change, you know, my perspective a little bit. I think that I just bring my baggage with Spielberg. If I see something a little bit weird, I'm like, oh, he loves aliens. Maybe it's that, you know, um, (laughs) close encounters, ET. You know, he's done it before. He he likes the extraterrestrial kind of feeling i think it was it makes more sense now that we've been talking about them as ai um but when they say oh he had you know when they get him out of the ice and they like oh he had contact with them i just assume that them were like the be- you know it is the humans but it's the beings on this planet before they arrived i guess but it makes more sense as ai i think that's a better rounded out story <laughs> to finish yeah. it off um But one of my favorite things which um, kind of clicked in a few days after watching it was um, he did a Kubrick. Um, In 2001, Kubrick fast-forwards 2,000 years in a shot. Um, So does Spielberg.
0: Yeah. And it's released in 2001. And it's funny because most people thought that um, that ending was Spielberg's spin on it on the story and he's like no this is all like this is the ending Kubrick had yeah I'm not trying to make it I'm not trying to Spielberg this he's like this is what he (laughs) he had (laughs) yeah (laughs)
2: yeah Like Spielberg,
1: it I think would have given us like a glimpse of what was going to happen next, and then be like, "Ah, oh, and we're done." And like yeah. a Kubrick one is like, "Yeah, two thousand years in the future. Here's a whole another twenty minutes of the film."
2: The yeah. end of this reminds me a lot of Lynch's Elephant Man, um, which I won't say exactly why if you haven't seen it. Um, but this theme of just wanting to live or exist as a normal human for a day or a, a period of time. As, you know, is um, a theme that kind of ends The Elephant Man, um, and that is also very sad. So yeah. I think that you know maybe pulling from that as well. But this ending is just devastating, and I think that anybody that has lost someone would be like, "What well, I wouldn't give just have a day with them again." You know, um, it's it's again, it's like these the human emotions of grief and like trauma and stuff all coming through. In someone that's supposed to be programmed to not feel that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, um, it did give me hope
0: for the future that maybe someday someone will be able to make me come back for a day with all the hair that I've shed on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've Just shed put it in a the lot. Pocket of a teddy bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, definitely as a father, this, this film affects me a lot more, I think, than it it would have normally done. Um, Just the themes of kind of giving up a a child. And like, I know firsthand, you know, that what love from a child feels like. And if, you know, I I know that it's a robot and, you, you know, there's not that, you know, through birth and everything, but it's still, you know, the feelings that, knowing the feelings that the child must go through when abandoned is just, is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what Spielberg's doing. He's messing with our emotional strings. He's pulling yeah. on them. So
0: I think yeah. a, another reason that this film is so high for me is the fact that Robin Williams has a cameo. I'm yeah. like just one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. So just,
1: I looked at the cast before I started watching because so I was like, I got to see who's all in it. Like I knew Haley Joel, Joel Osment was in it, but I was like, I don't know anybody else. And that was one of the first people who popped up and I was like excited. I was waiting for that. And then it just wasn't him actually yeah. there. And I was <laughs> like, Oh, I'm slightly disappointed. now. <laughs> like I was yeah. expecting this big, um, have y'all seen Valerian? The, that sci-fi movie. Uh, uh, came out a couple years ago. Okay, well Ethan Hawkson and He's this big kind of bombastic character, and I was expecting that because you get the uh, cyberpunk world, and I was expecting like they were to go in, and it was going to be him in like a suit and like doing this big, uh, thing. And then I was like disappointed, and then I was like, yeah, it's Robin Williams in a role. I can't be that disappointed. <laughs> then yeah. It was yeah. it was enjoyable for the rest of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, he does play Bicentennial Man. If you want to see him as a as a robot, I haven't actually seen it, but it's it's definitely one
2: I need to see. Um,
1: I'm gonna add it to my list now.
2: Yeah. I'd just like to imagine that when the film ends after it, Teddy just goes off with the AI/slash Aliens and lives a very happy life where people adore him instead of the other way around. Yeah. Um that's kind of my follow-up, is like justice for Teddy. Um <laughs> 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 and I think that's been like my overarching theme for the last 21 years, because when when he kind of Drops from you know when David gets caught up in the net and he gets dropped and runs after him. I was positive in my mind that David let go and was uh, like, "I don't need you anymore." I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it's like you know because it wasn't in the movie, but somehow my emotional reaction to it had become David had rejected him, ah, uh, which was bizarre because that's not what happens at all, you know. Um, it's
1: far sadder.
2: yeah yeah Yeah, exactly yeah oh just a shot of them in the little ship underwater and he's just like please blue fairy make me a real boy and teddy's like i'm gonna just wait here with you oh (laughs) yeah yeah. i thought that that was
0: going to be the end of the movie when it starts you know going out and the narrator comes in and he says that he just prayed and prayed and prayed i was like oh man i mean which is still a beautifully tragic ending yeah. Yeah, but then he was like two thousand years passed, and I was like, Oh god. It's just so th- devastating.
2: Yeah.
1: I think I would have preferred it ending there, to be honest. I think mm-hmm. that the in giving him that mother thing at the end, um, while we've talked about the like, you know, the haunting kind of beauty of that artificial intelligence coming back and, and uh bringing them back to life, it feels like it was uh somewhat unjustified after the depiction of humanity where it felt like a, a, you know, an end that was kind of justified for the film by letting it kind of end on that very sad note of like, you know, he was, he was failed by humanity opposed to, you know, him, like his wish never coming true, not because of anything other than like what he was put through. I think uh, I would have rather it stopped there 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 was just it felt like a tragic beautiful ending to everything.
2: Don't you think yeah. it may have been too tragic? I feel like if it had ended there I would have just been like oh god, you know, not been able to kind of get out of bed for a week in reaction to it. I think that, you know, that the semi-happy ending at least leaves you being like okay, David got what he wanted in the end, you know. Thank goodness for that.
1: I feel like it. I didn't gain a lot from the ending. That was the. That's the the thing for me. So like if I would have gained a ton from that ending, I would have been like, mm. yeah, it needed to happen. But I don't know. The there's something that is just tragic about the movie, in the end, anyways. Like it is. It yeah. is very sad, and I felt like, uh, it could have ended on that note and been, been just a sad ending to a movie. I I think some movies need that. We 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 tend to. Filmmakers tend to 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 do that a lot. Where they're like, okay, now let's give it a little bit of a bow at the end to make it feel a little better. Um, and some things like this could have actually probably it would have been terrible It would have been heart wrenching if that was the yeah. end. It would be heart wrenching, but <laughs> it might have. Like I would love to see a version of it where it does stop there, where credits roll right there, and see how I feel about you know the movie yeah. afterwards and see if it really changes my depiction.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, if it had ended right there, I, I feel like it would have been saying something about um, just believing in uh, things that aren't real, like kind of saying mm-hmm. something about religion, or you know, because it's like he prayed and prayed and prayed, and he just forever all for point. all time, you know, and his prayers never yeah. came true. Um,
1: it's a good point.
0: Yeah, but speaking of Teddy. <laughs> when he first like came on and I started hearing his voice, I don't know if you got this, but I was like, he kind of sounds like John McKinney, who plays Orb in our film. Yes, <laughs> I said that to to Harold today. I was like,
1: he sounds like John. I think, and he was like, oh, we shouldn't worry about it. And I was like, I'm not worried. I'm just like, I think that like we might have gotten the voice effect to like dial down and tone dial down in a way that sounded identical to it. Yeah, yeah. I heard it. I heard it wide a bit throughout.
0: it. I thought, I think it's cool. You know, he's, yeah, he's I'll got just like that perfect AI voice.
1: I'll say it's a homage to, yeah. <laughs> to AI. To Teddy. Uh, there actually was one more thing I wanted to note. Um, there, and it's the dumbest thing, but I figured it's the only chance I'm ever going to get to talk about this movie. So uh, Jude Law does the spin when he leaves the, the circus. I don't know if y'all, you know, so you know like how when everything ends at the circus, they kind of leave just together and it doesn't really have a, like the humans fight or fighting the circus and they're leaving. When they're leaving, they separate hands right at the little turnstile at the, the front and Jude Law does this spin like an unneeded, unnecessary twirl through the turnstile, and it was so funny to me watching it. Like it felt like just uh I don't know if y'all watched Boba Fett, but they did a spin in it and he shoots and he like it's unnecessary yeah. he spins and it really got me. Cause like I'm just watching them like rapidly leave the circus. It's like everything's going haywire. The is like, ah, spins needed for the <laughs> turnstile. And he's not spinning with the turnstile, it's like the opposite direction. It's a really weird thing. But yeah. I had to note it because it just made me laugh so hard. Like well, I I had to pause the movie and rewind it and just uh, like rewatch it <laughs> to make sure I saw that properly because um, I was just I was laughing so hard throughout. It. Oh,
0: that's great. I'm gonna not, have to not go the back whole movie <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and look for that because I absolutely love Jude Law in this movie. He is so he's great, yeah. good. I mean, I think this is maybe the best his best role.
2: Yeah, hands down. He's so good that's all he is good. yeah <laughs> yeah he no, plays, he's
1: fantastic
2: he does play with that kind of manic like i don't know carefree energy that you would expect from a from a gigolo robot you know he's always just kind of like you know cracking jokes and kind of being a bit like a bit like slimy you know when he's going about things i think it's a really um really good performance definitely Um, Yeah, because he's like a cool robot, like the way that he,
0: like when he's walking through the woods, and he does his whole like neck snap thing to turn on the radio.
2: It's just so smooth. It is Um, my my last bit of trivia that I really like is that there's another connection between Kubrick and Spielberg. Um, When um, Kubrick was developing this, and he kind of um, were looking for people to cast, he cast um, Joseph Mazzello as uh, David who was Tim in Jurassic Park. Um, And there was a lot of interviews around the time of him saying, you know, yep, my whole schedule has been opened up for this Kubrick film about artificial intelligence. I'm ready to do it. Um, And it just never came to be. So it could have been a little bit different. He could have been our David.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I I feel like he would have been too old by then.
2: I mean, this was being developed before Eyes Wide Short, which was 1999, so probably, I mean, that was being developed been a, a th- like three, four yeah. years. So like 94, 95, which was a couple of years well, after Jurassic Park.
0: I, I think part of the reason that Kubrick also gave it over to Spielberg was because he knew that with his filmmaking style, that the kid would grow too fast. Yeah. Because he would shoot over, like take over a year to shoot it, whereas Spielberg yeah. could like get it done. Yeah. <laughs>
2: He was also he worried about like techno- technology, uh, technological advances as well. He didn't think that there were that it would be suitable for how he wanted it to look. Which is,
1: crazy. I was just say he's gonna grow up between shots. Like with the last <laughs> yeah. shots that Cooper yeah. does, it's gonna be like three hundred shots in. The kid's gonna have a beard. So it's gonna... Exactly.
2: Yeah, take one and take two hundred and seventy. He's just gonna look completely different. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it's actually Uh, wild i I never uh i'm glad that it it went to to spielberg specifically for the casting purposes i think that this is that he is the perfect person to play david like it was uh he's like just cute enough as a kid to like play the cute side of like a toy child character but also like He's been acting for so long at that point in his life that he had, he brought such a nuance to it um, where you can kind of, you can see the changes in his behavior. It was just for the casting purposes. It's a, it's better (laughs) than it went to Spielberg. He also has a, he works with kids a lot more often and you know, I I can't think of Kubrick film where he does work with children, like children all the time kind of thing where Spielberg has kind of that rapport where he does work with a lot of children. And so, Probably was an easier set to be on too than with yeah. with him there.
2: And also, it's a good sell for the audience. You know, Haley Joel Osment, you know, he is, uh, he was at this time like a bankable star after 6th Sense. People wanted to see more of him. And with the fact he's on screen 100% of the time, it's like you needed someone that people were going to want to come and see, you know? Um, so it is, like you said, perfect casting all around.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, I know this film didn't do great when it came out. And people criticized it a lot, but I think it's aged very well.
2: I think the tide is turning. Like I said, there's an English critic called Mark Kermode that I really like. Um, he said when it first came out, he really didn't like it, and now he's coming around to it and thinks it's probably one of Spielberg's best. I think that's a lot of people's reaction to it. It's because it is it is cold. You know, It's not like a, a warm film you know Jurassic Park is so fun and E.T. is so full of like you know childhood wonder and just like you know being a kid and this is just very sterile and I think that's probably the the difference for people and why people now are coming around to it a little bit more yeah
0: makes sense well if there's nothing else do we want to see? try to guess what each of us rated the film? Yes,
2: let's do it. Sweet. Um, so so normally... this is the part of the show... Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Sorry. You go ahead, Lewis. No, it's okay. I'm jumping into your lines. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, normally, um, yeah, we, we rate all of our films on Letterbox. Lewis and I both have, have Letterbox, uh, so And we rate, you know, one to five stars, five being the most. Um, so... Is is uh I don't know we we have one friend that doesn't participate in the star ratings but do you want to participate chance? Oh yeah, I'll participate.
1: Okay. I have cool. a, I have a out of ten, so I'll just half it. So yeah.
0: okay, cool. All right, so, and we do half stars, so you know Letterbox does half stars. So cool. Um, yeah, we'll each do rounds and and try to guess what each of us rated. So I'll go first, Louis. I think you rated it. I'm going to say you rated it four and a half. I think it's not quite five and chance. I think you rated it maybe
2: three and a half. Brandon, I think you rated it a five. I don't (laughs) think you could say that it was Spielberg's best and potentially one of the greatest films of all time without being a five (laughs) Um, and chance. I think I'm going to go the same. I think that you gave it three and a half as well.
1: I think I'm going to have to go with Brandon's rating for you, Lewis and say 4.5, but it's not a five, but, uh, and Brandon, yeah, you gave it a five out of five. No doubt. <laughs> There's no doubt. in my. Mind you guys
0: don't know you. me. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I gave it five, five out of five. Incredible. Yeah. I cried multiple times. I mean, if a movie makes me cry, I'm like,
2: they're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I gave it four and a half. You were both correct. Um, it did also make me cry. And I think that the half star has been knocked out for the fact that they were like, robots aren't allowed there. It's called Manhattan. <laughs> like, oh, <God. laughs> That's the worst. That is awful. <laughs> so that was the half a star deducted for me. <laughs> nice.
1: Uh, y'all were both wrong. Um, I am a very harsh critic a lot of the time when it comes to star Rains. i gave it a 2.5 because i gave it a five out of ten yeah um i gave it 2.5 it felt very average like it, it was very middle of the road in a lot of ways to me uh, mostly because like i said i thought it was playing with the uh it's a spielberg interpretation of a Kubrick film um, and that didn't always work for me sometimes it worked really well and after this i'd bump it up to a three out of five, um, after the conversation, I think y'all turned the tides for some of the my my critiques of it. Um, and if I watched it again, um, I have this way with a lot of movies that I'm like ah, on first watch. that if I watch it a couple times, I might be like, God damn it! There's some things that really yeah. work in this film. Uh, Star Wars Episode Eight being a key example where I was yeah. like, I hated it, and I came back and was like, Ah, damn it! Some of these things do work really well in it.
2: Um, so, yeah,
1: I'll give it a 5. Um, 5, or, or uh, sorry, a 2.5 to 3.
2: Cool. Awesome. I always awesome. think of Guillermo del Toro. He tweeted something once, like, to watch a film once is to flirt with it. To watch it multiple times is to take it out on a date. And I was like, yes, that is perfect. That makes so <laughs> much sense to me now. I'm like, That's why I always try to watch films multiple times. <laughs> Um. Well,
0: what the heck? Now that this Kubrick series is officially yeah. done and in the grave, what are we watching
2: next week? Uh, yeah, it's not anything Kubrick related, unfortunately. Um, but it is something that we've kind of um, already semi-talked about, I guess. it. We're going to go back, Brandon, and we are going to finish Joanna Hogg's Souvenir Trilogy. We're going to watch The Eternal Door. Yes. twenty I'm excited for this. So, yeah. I've, been, I've been already ready. seen it. Yeah, but we've just... Uh, hey, we're going to finish out the series. I want to talk to you about it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, well, that'll be next Sunday, everybody. Uh, and with that, I think we've come to the end of the show. And you can, of course find us on all social media platforms at film church radio lewis and i are both on letterboxd i am at Selmascope, and lewis is at walker lewis 3007 there you can keep up with what we've been watching what we rate things all of that good stuff um and see you know reviews that we leave on there you can leave us a rating and review on all our podcast platforms all of our social medias uh engage in this conversation of um religiously cinematic cinema (laughs) that's a weird way to say it (laughs) um and of course thank you chance for being here awesome to have you we'll have to have you back in the future um you can find him on all social media at inward park productions uh be sure to check the show notes for our film peace of mind coming out soon and also for the indiegogo link in the show notes below um But yeah, we'll see you next Sunday for more Film Church. The only thing left to say is...
1: She will make you a real boy, for I will make her a real woman. And all will be right with the world because you held my hand and saved my brain so that once again my customers may ask for me by name, Gigolo Joe, what do you know?
0: Why do you do that?
2: That's just what he does. Amen. Amen. Amen.